0: Have you ever received one of those uh, Christmas presents that is so special you never use it? You know, uh, like you get the, uh, the new rollerblades uh, or if you're old enough, the new roller skates and um, they're so special that you never put them on because uh, you're scared, you know, that they're going to get scratched and by the time you actually do put them on, they don't fit anymore <sighs> or you get the jewelry that's so special that you never wear it, you never go anywhere special enough. And you say to your friend, oh my goodness, I got these beautiful pearls for Christmas. Oh, how do they look? Oh, I'm not going to wear them. It's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? That's what they're, they're made to be used, aren't they? Um, I sometimes feel like that as a human. You know, I was made to be used. But sometimes I just kind of hold myself back, preserve myself. So I was made to actually uh, kind of give myself to other people, to, to love other people. To honestly be myself for other people. To put other people's interests before my own. You know, to give myself. And you know, I actually really want to do that. I want to kind of radically give myself to people and be for them. I believe that that's what life's all about. That, that, that's really living, as, as Jesus shows me. And I want to do it. But so much of the time, I'm, I'm the special roller skates. I, I just won't give myself. I kind of preserve myself and hold myself back, protecting myself like the jewelry that never gets worn. You know, before and after photos, you know, like, the, like the block or the diet, before, after. Tonight, we're going to look at Judah, and we're going to see very clearly his before and after photos. And the before photo is self-preservation, And the after photo is self-giving. And my hope is that as we spend some time together looking at this character, Judah, we might be able to make that move a bit more with him from self-preservation to self-giving. That we might actually start using ourselves rather than hiding our roller skates in the box, if you know what I mean. So let's start with this before picture of Judah, the self-preserving. It's not a good picture we start with. Chapter 38. Is that really in the Bible? That's a weird chapter, right? A bit crazy. It kind of suits the weather, I think. Judah has the terrible misfortune of having a son who is so evil that he is put to death. Uh, but he, he, has a, he has a wife, Tamar. And it's Judah's responsibility now to provide for his daughter in law, Tamar. It's his responsibility. So uh, he gives her to his, uh, his other son. Uh, but his other son doesn't want to look after her, he wants to look after himself and his own inheritance. So he won't provide for her. And he's put to death too. So here's Tamar, still Judah's responsibility to care for. And what does he do? Well, I hope you have Genesis 38 open there in front of you. And if you look with me at verse 11. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. Is he really going to do that? For he thought, he might die too, like his brothers. This woman seems like she's cursed. And she knows. She knows that she's never going to be given to Shalah. It's this thinly veiled lie, which is basically his, his, his way of abandoning her completely to no future. And you see his heart here. He's much more interested in preserving himself, his own inher- his own heirs, his own future, than actually doing his responsibility. And it's exactly what he was like the chapter before as well. There's no change in his character. So the chapter before is quite famous. Um, it's when the brothers, including Judah, chuck brother Joseph into a well. And check out what happens. Chapter 37 and verse 26. Judah's got this great idea. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? come. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Good idea. And not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And they agreed. Good idea. Rather than think about your brother's good, preserve yourself, get a bit of pocket money, and sell him off. And that's kind of just what he's doing with Tamar as well. But Tamar takes matters into her own hands, doesn't she? She does something about it. She's a little bit like Rebecca with Isaac. She kind of puts on a disguise and deceives him. Now, uh, you might have thought, this is kind of all sounding a bit familiar, you might have thought Jacob would have told his son, son, important life lesson, don't sleep with a woman if you're not sure who she is. You remember that, yeah. If she's wearing a veil, just lift that up. But if he did say that to his son, he wasn't listening, so he just went ahead with it. Uh, And so Tamar takes a deposit for her services, the ring, the cord, the staff, Uh, But when Judah tries through his friend uh, to make the full payment of the goat, she's nowhere to be seen. And so he says this, verse 23. Judah replied to his mate, Let her keep the items for herself. Otherwise, we'll become a laughing stock. After all, I did send this young goat, but you couldn't find her. I, I tried really hard. Really, I did. Not really. But I'm much more concerned with my own reputation. I'm much more concerned with preserving myself than with actually doing what is right and giving this person who I've mistreated what they deserve. And then, verse 24, the news arrives, doesn't it? Verse 24, about three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter in law Tamar has been acting like a prostitute and now she's pregnant. And his response is almost comical, right? Burn her! (laughs) It's going, whoa, steady on, mate. It's a bit, bit over the top. And that kind of comes with the assumption on his part. She is a dirty sinner and I am not. This judgment, burn her. She's bad. And I'm not. But that all suddenly gets flipped on its head, doesn't it? Because then the bomb drops. And drops hard, verse 25. As Tamar was being brought out, she sent to her father-in-law this message, I am pregnant by the man to whom these items belong. And she added, examine them. Whose signet ring, cord and staff are these? Well, Judah recognized them and said, she is more in the right than I since I did not give to her my son Shelah. He's been exposed. And after this chapter, Judah kind of um, goes underground for a little while, and the story of Joseph becomes kind of uh, the center of attention. But next time we see Judah, he's a totally different man. Uh, this before and after photo, it's like you can't put them together as the same person. This event, what just happens here, it rattles him so much that it's like he's a different person. And, and we'll get to that after photo in just a moment. But I just want to pause here for a second because, you know, I see a fair bit of myself in Judah. Um, I don't know if you do as well. You see, I, I'm, so, I'm so fast to hold myself back and slow to give myself to people. I'm so bent on preserving myself, my reputation, my interests, my gain. I mean, I hope none of us here are actually kind of abandoning our daughter-in-law and then sleeping with them. Um, If you are, please talk with me later. Um, Or preferably talk to someone else. But but at work, in your day-to-day, do you sometimes kind of, Angle things to make it look like someone else has done badly so that you've done better, so it looks like you've done better. Or perhaps you're a manager and sometimes you blame your team rather than taking the hit for them. Or maybe you're in a small group, one of our hive groups, and and you're quite slow to kind of share yourself honestly because you're just scared of of being exposed. Or perhaps you even gossip about other people because that kind of will do, do good things for you. Or when it's four o'clock on a Sunday and it's raining, there's a bit of a thunderstorm and you're thinking, is it in my best interest to go to church tonight? Or when there's an opportunity to speak about Jesus with someone. But if you do, you're going to feel a bit awkward. So you don't. Self-preserving, self-preserving, self-preserving. My needs, my reputation. Rather than giving ourselves... I find there's more Judah in me than I like to admit. The great thing about these stories in Genesis is you meet so many characters who are so dodgy, like Judah, and yet by God's grace, they change. That encourages me. I hope it encourages you. We can change by God's grace. And that's exactly what we're going to see in this next section. We move from the before photo to the after photo. So let's carry on with the story. Um, We're going to get up to speed a little bit uh, with Joseph. He's been the character who's been moving along in the storyline. He's uh, gone down to Egypt as a slave, but God's been with him, and he's actually become the prime minister of Egypt. Um, There's a famine going on in the world. No one has any food except for Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt, and everyone's coming to him for food. So so let's catch up with the story at chapter 42. Uh, We're going to be skipping on a little bit Um, a a few fewer through through a few of these chapters so chapter 42 and verse 1 when jacob learned that there was grain in egypt he said to his sons why do you keep looking at each other listen i've heard there is grain in egypt go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die so 10 of joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from egypt but jacob did not send joseph's brother benjamin with his brothers for he thought something might happen to him. So the brothers go down, they appear before Joseph, not realizing it's him, appear before the prime minister. Joseph recognizes them, but pretends he doesn't. He wants to test them, you see. He wants to test if they've actually changed at all, if they're sorry. And so just like um, they chucked him into a well, he chucks one of them, Simeon, into jail. And he says, If you other nine brothers want to ever see Simeon again, and if you ever want to get any food again from Egypt, you better bring Benjamin with you back, back from Canaan. Bring him down to visit me. So the nine brothers head on back to Canaan. Back over here, they say to their dad, Jacob, what's been going on? And they say, look, if we ever want to get any more food, if we want to see Simeon again, get him out of jail, we've got to take Benjamin with us. But see how Jacob responds in chapter forty-two, verse thirty-eight. Remembering that um, that that Joseph and Benjamin are the two sons of the favorite wife Rachel. Verse thirty-eight. Jacob answered, "My son Benjamin will not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left." If anything happened to him on your journey, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. It will kill me. You're not taking him anywhere. It's kind of not a great idea. Because the days go by, and the weeks, the months go by, and more food goes out than comes in. Eventually, there's nothing left. They're, They're desperate. And Jacob finds himself in this kind of cleft stick, this kind of catch-22. He can't do anything. If he doesn't send his sons down to Egypt, they die of starvation. If he does send them, he thinks he's going to die of a broken heart. Death or death, what do you want? What's he going to do? He's kind of stuck. What's, What's going to change this? Who can make a change here? And Judah puts his hand up and says, I can. So chapter 43, verse 8, Judah said to his father Israel, uh, sorry, by the way, Israel and Jacob, same name, same guy. Judah said to his father Israel, send the boy with me. Really? Is that such a good idea? His his relationships with his family haven't been great so far, have they? You know, abandoning his daughter-in-law and then sleeping with her, uh, chucking his brother in a well and then selling him to slave traders. you sure you want to trust him? Or has he changed? Maybe he's changed. Let's read on and see. Uh, Verse 8. Send the boy with me. We will be on our way so that we may live and not die, neither we nor you nor our children. I will be responsible for him. You can hold me personally accountable. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will be guilty before you forever. If we would not wasted time, we could have uh, come back twice by now. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so. And he goes on. So Judah steps into the breach. I will take responsibility of this situation. The guilt will be on my shoulders forever if it doesn't work out. I will get food for you so you will live, and I'll bring back Benjamin so you will live. I will do it. And it's not just talk. He actually heads on down to Egypt with Benjamin in tow, and just as Jacob thought, Benjamin gets captured. It's, It's his worst nightmare. But Judas steps up. He steps up to the plate. He stands before the most powerful man he's ever met, who happens to be his brother, but he doesn't realize that. And he speaks up. So chapter 44 and verse 32. He's telling the prime minister about what he's said to his father. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy Benjamin, saying, if I do not return him to you, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. Okay, that's that's all words. Great. What's the action? Now, please... Let your servant, let me remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. Something's changed, right? The before and after photo of Judah are nothing alike. So interested in self-preservation that he would you know, wrong his own daughter-in-law and sell his own brother to slave traders. After Putting his body completely on the line, chucking his life away to be a slave forever for the sake of his brother and his father and the future of Israel. Now, you might be kind of thinking, especially if you're a bit of a Bible nerd, you might be thinking there's like some familiar kind of sounding concepts in there. Substitution. Someone kind of standing in for another person. There's something deeper going on here. Um, You'd be right if you're thinking that. Um, You see, we we won't actually understand this uh, section of, of Scripture properly if we don't understand that this is, it's kind of the Bible story in miniature. So right back at the beginning of this section of the story, it says, this is the story of Joseph. No, no, not Joseph. The story of Judah. Not the story of Judah. The story of Jacob. This is all about Jacob. Jacob, who is Israel. This is all the story of Israel. This is kind of like the story of Israel, the whole story of the Old Testament, whittled down to one little narrative. It's quite amazing. And if you know your Bibles, the Bible actually presents Israel as kind of being like a miniature version of the world. And so in a sense, here we've got a miniature version of the, whole, the story of our whole world. And let, let's spell it out a little bit. Starting kind of narrow, this, this, total, this story just here. Jacob is looking at being destroyed, dying, because of the sins of his sons, because of what they've done with Joseph, chucking him into a well. well a bit broader than that. Israel is, is looking at death because of the sins of Israel. They're, they're looking down the track of just being destroyed because of their sin, broadening it out a little bit. Our world is looking down, their only future is kind of death for them because of our sin. That's kind of like the biggest story that's sitting behind this one. The problem is sin. And Jacob's sons actually get that. In case you think I'm drawing kind of a long bow, come with me to chapter 42 and verse 21. Um, The debacle has just kind of landed. Everything's just gone wrong after they've arrived in Egypt the first time. And they say to each other, obviously we are being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw Joseph in his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this trouble has come to us. It's because of our sin. It's obvious to us. The sin is the problem. What's the solution? Israel is in this hopeless state of dying of famine or dying because of a broken heart. This the bigger picture is our world is in trouble. Why? Because of our sin. What we need is someone to step into the breach, right? Someone to take responsibility for this situation, for each of us, for you and me. And that's where Judah steps in and says, I will bear the guilt myself. I I will give my life in place of Benjamin. The consequences of our sin will be upon my shoulders so that we might live, so that Jacob and Israel might have a future. I hope you're seeing that this is kind of the storyline of the Bible here, leading right on through to Jesus, the one who gave himself so that we might live. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of the story of Judah that we see, the before and after. He's a totally changed man. And it's um, with that kind of, uh, that style of self-giving leadership, um, he's actually enshrined as the leader of God's people. So actually, as we move through to the end of this story, the end of Judah's story, um, Jacob, the father, blesses his, each of his sons and tells them what's going to happen, how things are going to be. Um, so if we just look with me uh, at chapter 49, it's the second last chapter of the book. And we see that Judah, this, this self-giving guy, is the one who is going to be the king His sons will be. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion. My son, you returned from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter, this is kind of like the rulers, the king's scepter, will not depart from Judah or the staff from from between his feet until he whose right it is comes. And the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. So the kings of Israel are going to come from Judah. King David. King Solomon. And what's their character going to be? They're going to be the ones who give themselves for the sake of of the kingdom. For their people. Or at least they ought to be. And who is the one who is that par excellence? The one who is the fulfillment of verse 10 there. The scepter will not depart from Judah or the star from between his feet until he whose right it is comes. The Lord Jesus is the one who put this kind of leadership, self-giving leadership, he puts it up in lights, doesn't he? He is forever the servant king, the self-giving king. No self-preservation for Jesus. He just gives himself to people. And he reigns today as the king who gave himself for his people. He found you and he found me and he didn't hold himself back at all. He gave himself to the point of death. Body given, broken, blood shed. So that the world might have a future. Someone had to step in. The Judah king, Jesus, did it. You know, I... I long to be able to be like that, to just be able to kind of forget myself and give myself for other people, just to really love people, to take risks rather than always kind of thinking about what will happen to me. I've got this sense that I would actually be more alive then. I'd be really living. And I've got great intentions to be that, but I just can't seem to do it. I'm making slow progress, but I can't seem to get there. Like I said, I'm I'm encouraged by Judah. Because he started off pretty bad as well, didn't he? But he made progress by God's grace. I want to stop now and spend a bit of time asking, how did he make progress? How might we make progress there as well? The answer is that Judah sees himself and God clearly. That's how he can change. See, this whole kind of self-preserving thing, it comes from um, pride and fear. You know, we're so proud of our things, but ourselves, we think we're so important that we can't give ourselves for someone else, because their needs are never as important as ours. But then we're also afraid, so we can't give ourselves because we're afraid of what might happen to us. Now, what God does for Judah is he just totally knocks out his pride and his fear, so he's able to give himself. Uh, Let's look at those two quickly. Uh, First, his pride. Um, Remember back in chapter 38, what was going on there? He'd heard about Tamar, that she'd been a a prostitute, and and he wanted to do what to her? Burn her like a witch. But then, verse 26, chapter 38 and verse 26, she brings out these signet ring, the cord and staff, and he recognized them and said, she is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. His pride takes a savage knock. Just a moment ago, she was the evil one. All of a sudden, a mirror has suddenly been opened up, and he has seen he's not who he thought he was. It's like looking in the mirror and seeing, you're not quite as handsome as you thought you were. The reality suddenly dawns on him. He's worse than her. And then in chapter 44 and verse 16, I think this is kind of like a summary of everything that's been going on, this whole broken, messed up scenario. Judah acknowledges this. He says to the prime minister, Joseph, what can we say to my Lord? How can we plead? How can we justify ourselves? I can't justify myself anymore, he says. God has exposed your servant's iniquity. God's used these tests that Joseph gave to his brothers to expose them, to hold up the mirror and say, look who you are. Do you see? And Judah says, yeah, I see. I'm broken. He can't go on justifying himself. He has no leg to stand on. There is no more pride left. Friends, I wonder if that's ever happened to you. You know, perhaps throughout your life you've been kind of got these sins you're ashamed of, and you've kind of picked up the carpet and just kind of brushed them under there, and kind of closed it down, and just hope that no one mentions it, and you can kind of do your best to forget about it. Keep on thinking that I'm a pretty good person, and oh, that those people aren't good people, but I'm a pretty good person. Has God ever lifted up the carpet and gone, "No, you're not. Face up to it." Be realistic about who you are. Have you been there? Like it says in Romans chapter 12, we need to think of ourselves sensibly with sober judgment. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. May God do this in us, bless us with this gift so that our pride might be taken away and replaced with reality, humility. Humility. But then there's the second half of this thing. God takes away the pride, but then there's also the fear. Now let's think again about that chapter 38. He's got two sons. They're both evil. And what was the result? Put to death. And then there's Tamar, who's been evil. What does he want to do with her? Burn her. And then all of a sudden, he finds out that actually he is worse than her. So what does he deserve? Burn him. <laughs> What do we deserve? But what does Judah get? Mercy. God's kindness. Of course, we actually know why God was kind to him, how God could be kind to a sinner like Judah. Because we know that that Jesus has come and given himself even for Judah. We know that Jesus is... Our great Judah, who has stepped in and taken our guilt and the guilt of all his people even in, in centuries past, so that there is no punishment for us. Jesus has stepped in and taken that for us, and so the apostle paul says there 's no condemnation for us, no fear, nothing to be ashamed of and once judah has seen um, has seen this as has had his pride knocked out and, and, and his fear kind of taken away and replaced with God's mercy, then he's free. Free to just give himself to his for his brothers, for, for his family. And friends, it's exactly the same for us. Once we see ourselves as we are, our, our sin, and we're able to just be real about that. And once we see that we're not going to face any punishment for that because Jesus has taken it for us. Once the fear is gone and the pride is gone, we can, we can live and give ourselves in love and freedom for others. I wonder if you are discovering that more and more as you get to know Jesus, that you're able to give yourself for others. You know, brothers and sisters, if our church is going to continue on flourishing, we, we need to do this, be a self-giving community who, uh, in, in our small groups, are ready to share ourselves, give of ourselves, and not just protect ourselves. And that's only going to happen as we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, Judah's great son. We can only give ourselves to each other as we remember he's given himself for us. We're going to remember um, over dinner the way that God has uh, given his son for us. We're going to take communion and remember the way that uh, yeah, he gave his body and blood for our sake. Um, but I thought before that, what we do is, as we just close, is, um, is actually um, come clean. Uh, let ourselves be a bit exposed and, and actually say a, a prayer of confession together. Um, it's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to um, pray that with me. Um, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy, you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight. Yet we still fail to love you as we should and serve you as we ought. Forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace that we may continue to grow as members of Christ in whom alone is our salvation. Amen. Father, we do want to thank you so much for the way that you have given yourself for us. Father, we see so much of ourselves in Judah. Um, Judah Mark 1. Um, We thank you so much for our Lord Jesus, who is so much like Judah Mark 2, um, for the way he gave himself for our sake. Lord, would you please strengthen us by his, um, his gift of himself for us, by your spirit, that we might be like him and give ourselves to others in freedom. We thank you so much for his gift of himself, Father, for the precious blood that was poured out uh, on our behalf. Lord, we are so undeserving of that. But we thank you for that gift. Pray that we will treasure it always and be shaped by it. Amen.